0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily.
3: Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily roundup of Premier League news and opinion in podcast form. New shows every single day of the season. Thanks for being with us. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. And today we've had our first cup upset of the season. It came in the Carabao as League Two side Crawley beat Premier League Fulham. Is there anything to be concerned about for the Cottagers or is it just a bump in what will be a long road this season? Brendan Rogers, Leicester City were in action last night as well. They scraped through to the next round, beating another League Two side, Stockport County, but only by penalties. And after the game, Brendan Rogers revealed how Leicester have rejected a third bid for Chelsea target Wesley Fofana. What does his future have in store? And as it's a Wednesday, it's our chance to answer your questions in AQA. Any questions answered, and we'll be fielding them very, very shortly to get the thoughts of Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson, who are alongside me on FSD today. Morning, boys.
4: Good morning. Morning, guys. You can definitely feel like the season's into full swing when, you know, the Carabao Cup thing going on in the (laughs) midweek. Ugh.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, you had a spring in your step
4: yesterday, Joel. You still have a double hangover today, by any chance? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's starting to wear off a little bit now. I feel feel like the United Twitter account's really milking the victory because I think (laughs) they don't know when the next one's going to come. So, uh, yeah, we're still enjoying it. We're still
3: riding the wave. Well, the next game for Manchester United is away at Southampton on Saturday. And Southampton themselves were away in the Carabao Cup last night, as were all of the Premier League sides that aren't in European competition for round two of this season's League Cup. Aston Villa also beat Bolton and uh, there were quite a few matchups between Premier League sides and lower league opposition but the one that sticks out is the fact that League 2 Crawley have stunned Fulham by knocking them out of the competition. It finished 2-0 to the Sussex side and although Fulham understandably made changes is this something for them to be worried about at all Marley or is it just one of those things you, you do get upsets don't you in the Cup? someone's got to be knocked out
5: yeah you, you always do um I looked at Fulham's lineup and it was kind of like um business at the back and party at the front it was it was like a reverse mullet <laughs> it was like the the first um the like first a, a team. emo
3: haircut the long fringe <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bit
5: yeah uh it was like all the under 21s up front and then all the um sort of senior pros ish at the back like and Who they just signed this summer? Who who looks really good? Um, Issa Diop, I think, made his debut. Tim Ream was in there, and you know, there's um, there was there was plenty enough to get the get the job done. But um, yeah, just it didn't go that way, did it? You know, I think. um, But if you look at Fulham, like, are Fulham ever going to win the Carabao Cup when they're trying to trying to stay in the league and that's the main priority? I I, I don't think so. So I don't think they'll be too bothered, Um, and they can move on to to try and putting all their eggs in the let's stay in the league basket rather than you know let's beat Crawley Town and then ultimately go out to a Premier League side later on in sort of the quarterfinals around sort of December time.
3: Yeah do you think this is something that Fulham fans won't be too butthurt about this morning just because of the fact that the league Joel the Premier League and staying in it is surely
4: their bread and butter this season? Yeah I just echo exactly what Marley just said it's the fact that especially for the sides that have just come up to the Premier League, this competition is just a needless distraction, especially, you know, when it gets to November time, December time, and the next round of fixtures are starting to roll in, but they need to rest their squads because their squads aren't the biggest. They haven't got the most quality in all areas. So I think they'd rather just, you know, completely rest the main team. They haven't got Europe to contend with. So it's basically just a game every every game week, every week or every midweek rather than having to, you know, rest a couple of players. And also the managers get a little bit of pressure probably from the fans, you know, as you start to advance into the fourth round, fifth round and you start to see the Wembley lights in the distance just a little bit and they have to feel like they have to really get a full strength side out but then you're kind of having to battle this conflict of do I field my best players like do I bench Mitrovic for the next round or do I start him with the risk of him potentially getting an injury and then that hampers the rest of the campaign so I feel like this competition is just basically made for the bigger teams who have the bigger squads with more quality which I feel like that's, that, that's one of the reasons why City won it what was it four times in a row just because they have the depth to be able to feel the second team which is probably as good and probably could contend for the Premier League so is it's one of those competitions isn't it where you've got to just see how luck turns in your favour and if it doesn't they're not going to cry about it because the, the main objective is to stay in the Premier League.
3: Yeah if you're not sure how the Carabao Cup works at this stage it's all but the top seven Premier League sides enter at the round two stage so those sides that are in Europe this season in the top flight will enter at the next round of the competition it's also split regionally so southern teams will play southern teams and northern teams will be drawn against northern teams we'll talk about those top seven Premier League teams who are coming into the competition at the next round in a second but first let's look at some of the other fixtures last night of course congratulations to Crawley for beating Fulham Aston Villa though they had to come from behind to beat Bolton and they ended up uh, running out comfortable winners 4-1 the final score but a much needed confidence boost for Steven Gerrard and his players Marley we'll talk about it in AQA a little bit later on but there have been a few dissatisfied supporters with the way things are going for Steven Gerrard I think that's fair to say
5: yeah I think um I think we're going might come on to it later but the the pr- the um pressure and the uh what's the word sort of the eyes are on him a bit, you know they've spent money um a lot of money to be fair, they've got some really good players in, but you know they they haven't produced the results yet, especially in the Premier League you know last night would have been uh, a good win they they worked had to work a little bit harder for it than they than they thought i think there was one one until about sixty 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 five minutes something like that so eventually coming through will be a little confidence boost but yeah Villa have got still. Uh, a lot of work to do in in terms of sorting out the defence, um, with Carlos getting injured, and sorting out the um, the sort of first team because Gerard. I don't think Gerard knows his best team yet, um, and that needs to that needs to sort out quickly because when it's down to the cut and thrust of the Premier League, you know we, we've got we've now got games this weekend and games next uh, next midweek. If they if they lose both of them and Villarus sitting towards. 18th 17th I think people are going to start really looking at him and going well you know why did we get rid of Dean Smith
3: he's been there since November last year we'll come on to it later but Certainly, I think maybe by this stage, Villa fans would have been hoping for a little bit more from their manager. They got the job done, though. They came from behind and beat Bolton Wanderers in the end. We'll focus on Villa, as I say, in more detail a bit later in the show. But now let's take a look at Leicester, who squeezed through on penalties after a goalless draw in 90 minutes against League 2 Stockport. Really good atmosphere down at Edgeley Park last night. The Stockport fans getting behind their team, as you would expect. 10 changes for Leicester, only Harvey Barnes keeping his place from the weekend's defeat in the Premier League. So a chance for some first game time, first minutes of the season for a lot of Leicester players. However, regardless of that, Joel, you would have expected the team that Leicester put out to have seen off Stockport County. Give credit to Stockport, they made it tough, but Leicester managed to squeeze through on penalties. We said it would be difficult for them, but they just about managed to edge through.
4: Well, this is what the competition's about, isn't it? It's where the teams who are in the lower leagues this is their main opportunity to actually try and achieve some kind of cup run prior to the FA Cup whereas for Leicester it's like you just say it's a chance to get some game time in the legs of the players who've not even been featured at all this season but even regardless of that you'd still expect them to cruise through during a game like that but I think it just sums up where where, where Leicester are at at the moment which is very below par which has been the case for probably about a year now um, where they're just putting in subpar performances they've got a lot of issues going off behind the scenes in terms you know for which we'll get on later and just a lot of players who are just performing where way below what we usually see them at so it's It's just a tie where Brendan Rodgers will just be happy to be able to get through to the next round and if he didn't get through to it it'd be even better for him to just concentrate fully on the Premier League because I think now probably more than ever, probably since that season where they actually just stayed up by the skin of their teeth under Nigel Pearson I feel like this season now more than ever is the the most threatening one to them just because like I said in yesterday's podcast they haven't strengthened at all and they probably will end up becoming even weaker if Wesley Fafana ends up leaving so it's going to be a a season where they really just need to have a clear schedule and just be able to concentrate on game by game because having another cup run I'm sure Brendan Rodgers will like it and I'm sure he'll still be able to get some of the uh, fringe players involved but it's just another distraction which is going to be difficult for the depth that they have.
3: Yeah, I mean, they ended up having to bring Madison and Dewsbury Hall and some other attacking players on off the bench as well and Madison did really make a difference, but they couldn't find their way through and it went to penalties and as you say... The Fafana thing, which we will talk about in the next part of Football Social Daily, was kind of hanging over Rogers in in the post-match interviews. And he did reveal some interesting information, which we will come on to. But as we said yesterday on the podcast, Marley, it's almost a lose-lose for Brendan Rogers. If Leicester didn't win the game last night and win comfortably, there were always going to be questions over the confidence of the squad, the quality of the squad, the future, not just for Rogers, but also for some of the players, as we've discussed. So it was a case of really, there there was nothing to gain there from Leicester. They've got through to the next round, but they would have expected to have gone through to the next round. And so if they had won, everyone would have gone, all right, they've beaten a League Two side. So what? You'd expect that four divisions difference. But if they had lost or been run close, which was the end outcome, then the question marks would have begun and started up again.
5: Yeah, I think um, that's that's pretty much the early rounds of the Cups for, for everybody, really. You know, you, um, you have to play these games in... There's very little, that's why you see upsets because people aren't aren't that bothered about what happens in terms of like it's really hard to get your motivation going like uh you look at uh, Fulham at the weekend beating Brentford um in a really good game and then having to get up and go to Crawley on on a Tuesday night you know it's not the most you know um stimulating thing for a player yeah like Newcastle for the, like Newcastle tonight just held Man City 3-3 at home probably one of the best performances of the last three or four years. Um, and they've got to go to Tramier tonight and keep that motivation high. And it's it's always a potential banana skin. So um, I think that's what happened with Leicester, really. They they were lucky to get out of it in the end. Um, penalty shootouts obviously can, can go anywhere. But I think Everson came up with, I think it was three or four saves in the shootout to to pull them out of the, uh, the mess because it would have been really embarrassing if they'd have got beat. It's one of them situations where it's the end of the world if you lose, but, you know, Nobody gives you anything if you uh, if you win because you should win. You should win ninety nine times out of hundred if you're Leicester City going to Stockport County. So it's uh, that's just the cups for you, though. That's what makes them so intriguing.
3: Yeah, I think as well, it shows the depth of the English system. I think it's the best in the world, the the football pyramid in this country. Of course, it's the EFL Cup, the League Cup, whatever you want to call it. So all four professional divisions of English football are involved in this cup competition, much like the FA Cup, where it's pretty much every club in the country enters and then there's qualifying rounds and preliminaries and then it goes to the first round proper. But for the League Cup, I think it shows exactly why the English system is revered as the best in the world. I'd argue, Joel, that in no other country... You'd see a fourth division side be a top flight side. It just wouldn't happen. It just, it just it just does not happen anywhere else,
4: at least in Europe. Was I not right in thinking that FCI Bitha had to play a top flight side in the Spanish division? I don't know if they won or not.
5: They're Should... in the they're in the second division
4: though. Now are they actually?
5: Yeah, yeah, they've they've won one one uh, league below, hitting it with Barcelona and Real Madrid. <laughs> what an away day! <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is what I mean. The best teams. In Europe are either in the first or second divisions, but you go below the championship, and you 've still got huge football clubs competing the likes of sort of Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich, and until recently Sunderland, a big club who are down in League one and you know there 's the depth of the English system, and like you say, it does happen you do get teams that do beat um, top division sides and, and it 's a crazy cup upset i know there 's a French side that went on a mad cup run a couple of years ago. Um, that was getting a lot of attention but this happens every season Crawley beating Fulham we all sat here this morning going oh fair play but in any other league in any other country a fourth division team beating a Premier League side or a top division side would be back page massive news but for us because
4: of the depth of the pyramid it's almost like oh fair play you know it's happened again yeah it does it does happen but it's like I was mentioning before I feel like it just comes down to motivation when it comes to the early stages of these competitions of the bigger side's almost having this arrogance towards it because they have their eyes on the bigger bigger fish to fry, which is, in Fulham's case, staying in the Premier League. Whereas their competitors, Crawley, they're still in a position where they can kind of dream a little bit still because going into the next round, if they win the next round, they're going to start believing that they can actually go all the way and so they should because there's been so many amazing cup runs Especially, you know, when when I remember in the FA Cup, when Bradford did that amazing run beating, you know, the likes of Jose Mourinho's Chelsea along the way, like these these could these these um, fixtures do happen. It just depends on. How much the Premier League side actually wants it, because you do get some managers who really are willing to throw away these cup competitions in favor of just prioritizing what needs to be done for his job. Basically, I think that's what it basically comes down to: just the pressure of having to keep their club in the Premier League. So, it is. It is I think I feel like in England it is very particular where you do get the lower league sides and everyone kind of backs them. I don't know if that's the case in other countries where everyone is really willing for the underdog to start winning the the big ties against the big teams, but it does seem to happen quite a lot here and I think that's, that's the best part about these cup competitions.
3: Yeah, I'm going to try and hammer home my point here by saying let's pick a Spanish fourth division side um San Juan, for example, from the the city of Pamplona, which is famous for the bull run.
5: <laughs> you well sound you've just made that like you've made that team up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Agrupación Deportiva San Juan is the name of the team. Um they got a really cool logo actually. uh just looking at it now. I don't know what how to see. It looks like the red hot chili peppers logo, if you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um they finished sixth of eighteen teams in Group Two of the 2A RFEF 4th Division in Spanish football. Crawley town would would demolish these lot. I'm convinced. <laughs> Stockport would have battered these lot last night and that is what I mean I think that the level of professional football in England is deeper and has a higher quality than anywhere else in the world I think I've rested my case there and I'm happy
4: to move on are they are adopted side for this season should we start interacting with them and say you've got our support from England <laughs> <You know what? laughs> for this let's season let's do it come on San Juan we'll see how you get on the Pamplona boys
3: I don't know why they've got they don't have a nickname but I feel like they should be called the Bulls because of the, the Bull run that they have in Pamplona but we're going to
5: have the, uh, the Spanish Chili Peppers fans go going
3: on going on it was on uh, social media now aren't we gotta gotta really incite them (laughs) what's interesting is that they're from a part of Pamplona called Navarra which is quite similar to Navarro, who was the guitar player in Chili Peppers. So, you know, maybe there's something in it. Maybe there's something in it. Anyway, that's round two of the Carabao Cup boxed off. We discussed Leicester a minute ago, and we're going to talk about them again now, but more with a focus on Wesley Fofana. Brendan Rodgers last night gave an update on that potential transfer to Chelsea, and we'll reveal what it is next after this.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk.
3: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. My name's Niall, Marley and Joel are with me, and I want to talk about Wesley Fafana now, as Brendan Rogers said last night that Leicester have rejected a third bid from Chelsea for Wesley Fafana, and that Fafana does indeed want to leave King Power Stadium for Stamford Bridge. First of all, can you see a deal being done, Joel, here? Because Leicester are being stubborn, but I suppose that is their right
4: to be stubborn with only a few days left of the window. I do think it's going to go that way. You can only imagine it's going to go that way considering is now basically getting polarised out of the side and it's disrupting the whole squad. And I just think that for £70 million, which is way, way more than what he's actually worth, or to, to Leicester, what he's worth is obviously different to what the objectively what he's worth. But I just think that Chelsea are just so dead set on trying to get this centre back now, and with only six days to go, I feel like it's just too much of a task to start opening up opening up negotiations for another defender who isn't really or hasn't been on the radar, isn't the right profile that they've actually been looking for. Uh, but I just think that in this because they've left it so late as well. And the fact that Leicester will have to scramble around in the last God knows how long, how many days until it actually gets done. It just leaves them in such a, it leaves both clubs in such a weak position, to be honest, because Chelsea are going to have to overpay. I think Leicester are holding out for that 80 million figure like they did for Harry Maguire. And it's just a case of, do, do Leicester hold firm? And say, okay, Fafana, if if they don't reach the valuation we have for you, you're gonna have to stay. But then, do they do the? Do they run the risk of playing the rest of the season with a player who's clearly going to be unhappy? Um, his heart's not going to be in the team and the actual vision for the for the season. Or do you just say uh, accept and cut your losses? Well, it's not even a loss; it's an unreal amount of gain for Leicester in terms of money. But then it's a case of, well, are they going to reinvest it? Because we've seen nothing so far this season in terms of investment from Leicester. So I think the fans will be thinking, do I trust this ownership to actually get players in in the time that we have? Because they've they've not made any movements whatsoever. So it's going to be an interesting one, but I do see this only playing out one way. When a player is desperate to leave and has such a desire to leave, it usually only goes one way.
3: I think that's a little bit harsh to level that at the owners. I think Leicester's owners have been absolutely outstanding over the last few years. I think they've been one of the best sets of owners in the Premier League. And yeah, but you this can't keep looking a...
4: back in the past to say they've been good. Everyone knows they've been good, but right now they need them to perform in this transfer window or they're going to fall further behind in the Premier League. And that's just the, that's just the, the cruelty of the Premier League, which is that everyone else is improving. And if you stay still for one transfer window you're going to fall even further behind. That's the only danger of it.
3: Yeah, and no, I hear what you're saying and I can understand you know, what you're saying about calling on the owners to make signings. But to say, do the fans trust the owners? I think that's, I'm not sure that's quite... The, the right angle to take it I can get why the fans are frustrated and I can understand why the fans are frustrated with Fafana as well Marley because according to Rodgers last night after the game at Edgeley Park in the League Cup he said that Fafana missed a training session and is now training away from the main first team group and with the development squad do you think that with the way this has unfolded he requested to sit out of the weekend's game with Southampton turned up in the stands and watch with his girlfriend as Leicester lost 2-1 to Saints He then wasn't in the squad last night and missed a training session this week. And Brendan Rodgers simply said, you can't afford to do that and expect to be a part of our group. No one is bigger than the group is what he was trying to say to paraphrase him. Do you think that that's irreparable damage now done to Fafana's Leicester career? For example, if it gets to the end of the transfer window, the deadline comes and he's still at Leicester City. With the way things have happened in the last few days with him now training with the youth team and missing training sessions, and angling for a move away, it almost feels as if it won't really go down well with the playing squad or the fans if he gets game time, if he does stay.
5: Yeah, this is, in my opinion, it's definitely the end of him at Leicester. I think, you know, the the damage done now is too much. I've seen the, the fans going mental at him on on social media. It's uh, It's warranted as well, to be fair, because I think, you know, they plucked him from... You know, they scouted him, they they put the work into him, they gave him the platform to to come and to come and play. And and when you're still so young, um I think the, the I just think there's no rush in this move. Um I think when Fofana decides to leave Leicester, had it not been this season, I still think he goes to a top-top club um in the next three years when he's, you know, what is he now, like twenty-two or something like that. So, you know, if he moves to a top club of twenty-five it's still going to be a, a big club for a big, big fee as long as he carries on playing as he is, you know, it's, he's got everything you need as a center back, but it's that like, it's that sort of um, mentality of, I, I need this now. Like I don't think you need it now, but it's very hard to turn down, especially when you, you are young and there's, there's the bright lights of London and the money and the,
3: The prestige of playing for Chelsea, it's very, very hard to turn down. But Leicester will turn it down because Fafana only a few months ago, after he broke his leg about a year ago and the club helped him through that, he came back towards the end of last season, put in some good performances And he was rewarded with a new long term contract. I think it was a five year deal they gave him and he signed it. And in the press and the PR statement that comes with these contract signings, he said, I love the club. I love the city. I love the fans. And I'm excited to see what I can achieve with Leicester City in the future, four or five months down the line. And he's refusing to train and now wants to leave the club. So you can understand why the Leicester fans are hammering him because Harry Kane did the same thing when he wanted that Man City move. I'm not saying he missed training. That's a different thing. But certainly Spurs fans were saying, well, he's under contract. He signed a new long-term deal. And it's totally in Spurs' um, prerogative to refuse any bids from a club for Harry Kane. And they did that uh, in the end, Tottenham, didn't they? And he missed out on that move to Man City. Why is Fafana not being treated the same, particularly by some aspects of the media?
5: It's just uh, it's it's one of them. Like he's he's dipped into the cliche bag for the uh, the quotes that have come out of, you know, him signing the extension. And I think with it's a weird thing in football where contracts are, are worth hundreds of millions, but at the same time they're not worth the paper they're printed on because if a player wants to leave, they ultimately they eventually leave either sooner or later, and you know, players uh, clubs would rather have the money and um have the, the problem gone rather than have it hang over them for, for the rest of the summer and then have an unhappy player, you know, playing for them when you, you're worried about what might uh what might happen to his mentality and then he affects his, his future worth. So I think it it just puts the clubs in 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 very um difficult situations because there aren't many players who will say, you know, I'm happy to stay. If you want to sell me you know, take the money and I'll go. But there doesn't seem to be that many players who will say that and then say, but I am happy to stay if you want me to stay. It oh, it always tends to be, oh, well, my toys are coming out of the pram if they don't accept this bid. I'm going to refuse to play at the weekend. I'm going to sack off the cup. I'm going to force my way out. And it, it's always like that these days. You see it a million times. You see it every summer, every winter transfer window. Something
3: happens. Um, And it's just the state of the game, I'm afraid. It's crazy how much of a game this is, isn't it? When it comes to players and transfers and their futures and stuff, because I'm sure Wesley Fofana at the age of 21 or 20 or whatever he was when he signed that new deal a few months ago, would have thought, okay, this is a chance for me to significantly increase my wages because that is often what happens, isn't it? During a contract extension, you get yeah. a longer term deal, you get better wages and he would have been on a modest contract when he first signed for the club as a young player. Excellent performances in the first team, a real bright star for the future and so therefore probably earned a new deal at the club, but a five-year deal. And he's thinking, great, I'm going to get paid loads more money. That's good, good for me. Um But you have to bear in mind that that then means that if any club wants to come in for you, you'll have to, you know, accept that it might not happen because of the length of your contract. And that looks like what might be happening at the moment. So who knows what's going to happen with Wesley Fofana? Any more updates on that? And we'll try and bring them to you on Football Social Daily as well as on the Twitter page, which is at FSDpod. It does feel like the damage is already done between Fofana and the Leicester fans. Right, next up on Football Social Daily, it's AQA, which we do on a Wednesday. Stands for All Questions Answered. Your questions that you've sent to us via social media next after this.
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered jumba-casino.com.
1: It's my
0: little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
3: Welcome back, Football Social Daily, final part of today's show, Wednesday the 24th of August and it is time for AQA, all questions answered. This is where you have the opportunity to send questions into us here on the show and we will read them out and try our very best to answer them and we've had some really good questions this week. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at Sports Social Official, you can also find us on Twitter, it's at FSD Pod and we're on Facebook as well. AQA, this question comes in from Instagram, Everton Selling Gordon for around 50 million or more is massively overvalued, in my opinion. Who do you think is the most overvalued Premier League player? And that one comes from Craig. Come to you first, Joel.
4: Which Premier League player do you think is overvalued? Well, honestly, well, just keeping on this Anthony Gordon one for a second is actually so amateur, this transfer. I can't even begin to comprehend and explain just how bad it is. on Chelsea's side and in fact I don't even know which club is more stupid Everton for not accepting it or Chelsea for making that bid because (laughs) you're telling me that Chelsea with the most talented academy I think I've seen in a long time they don't have a winger as talented as Anthony Gordon in their academy it's not a chance They, they have an absolute depth of talent in that academy and not even just the academy for 60 million you can get such a ridiculous amount of amazingly talented players in Europe that you could list them the list could go on and on and on and the worst part is that Gordon has spent basically one season in the Premier League he's not a prolific goal scorer he's a very good presser but that's there's not a great much more to his game so for me Chelsea have just been so short-sighted in this in this transfer in the transfer window to be honest and I'm just really shocked because I, I have a few Chelsea friends and when I asked them about it, they all say the exact same thing, which is why is the owner paying so much for someone who's not really <laughs> essential for the side?
3: I, I've seen the stats as well for Gordon and he's he, he ranks as an average Premier League player at the moment um, when you look at all of the statistics the in terms lie. of percentiles and stuff. Um, but, you know, that's I, I, I feel bad because it's not Gordon's fault that he's possibly going to move... To Chelsea for around sixty million quid. What was interesting was a report today that said um, that he wants to move to Chelsea to help his England chances for the World Cup. I was like, "Oh, come on, come on!" I mean, that's batting above your station at this point.
5: But even that doesn't make any sense because Never if he cap. goes
3: to Chelsea and sits
5: on the bench, you know, are you not better off playing at Everton every week? He's not good enough to because play. Of for course, England, you are. Is he? I mean, this... he's not. He's barely good enough to play for Everton. He's only good enough to play for Everton because they were so bad last season. They they ended up bringing him in and you know taking a chance on him and and because they they brought in all these players from like Barcelona and stuff like Andre Gomez and, and Alan from Napoli and that the fight didn't work really at Everton so then they ended up you know, giving a chance to a youngster and it's always different when you you put a local lad on because you, they fight for the shirt a little bit more and that's what I think that's what Everton fans like but the the transfer makes no sense and you know I don't think there's anyone. Any Chelsea fan that I can think of that wants this move, that wants Anthony Gordon for 60 million, I think the only person who, or only people that seem to want him is the people making the decisions at Chelsea. And Todd Bowley is, is, you know, he he reminds me of like, you know, uh, a newly rich man just going and buying like materialistic things he doesn't really need to start his reign at Chelsea and, and prove that there's money there. Like we all know Chelsea got money. You don't buy Chelsea for three billion quid if you haven't got money. So, you know, the Sterling thing made sense. Kulubali made sense. Uh, Cucurello was too much, but made sense in terms of, you know, they needed a, a, a well, they, they think they needed a left back. So they went and got one. But this thing, I mean, nobody's asking for Gordon. Um, it's now so to the point where he's he's even asking for it himself, saying, "I want to move to Chelsea." Like, why? You're a 19-year-old Scouser. Like, you you grew up in Liverpool. You love the club, or supposedly love the club. You're leaving them up up the creek without a paddle, and you want to play for England when there's. I can probably name eight wingers that are better than Anthony Gordon in the Premier League right now, and and to make it even yeah, worse, and some of them that don't
3: get in the yeah, team as well, like Barnes, yeah, for example. And to
5: make it even worse, Hudson odoi is at Chelsea, and he's probably going to have to go on loan to to uh, buy a Leverkusen. If today's reports are true, um, to to get first team football, and he he'll probably look brilliant when he's out there and and uh, you know reignite his career. So it's the whole thing <laughs> makes no sense.
3: I'm laughing because we've used this. Time to tee off on the Gordon to Chelsea transfer and not actually answer Craig's question, which is who do you think is the most overvalued Premier League player? But Marley, in all fairness, keeping it on an Everton theme, you have always said for the last three years that Alex Iwobi to Everton for £40 is ridiculous
5: oh that that's shocking to be is fair. that another
3: one is that a different yeah, one yeah it is actually um that okay is... i'll go for that one then sorry jill <laughs> <laughs> that is
5: the shocker it will be for 40 millions a shocker but the biggest one for me is um nicholas pepe to arsenal for oh, 72 yeah. million because when you think of big big transfers you never think of him because he's a truly forgettable player um and then you you think you see sometimes see like your biggest fees in world football and he's like sixth or seventh or something on the list and you're like, Christ, he went to Arsenal for 72 million and there's talk of him being loaned to to a, a French club um, this summer because they're, they're sick of him, they want to get rid of him. So I'd go for him.
4: Uh, gosh, there's a lot of players at United that I could think of. I think one of the biggest standouts is of course Harry Maguire. He just didn't justify his price tag at the time and I don't know where it came from. He was basically on the back of a good tournament really. Um, he would be probably one of my main ones or Kepper from Chelsea just because I don't even know where the hell they plucked that price tag from someone gave them a £72 million price tag and said he's worth it I don't know if anyone even scouted him beforehand but he's shocking, he's a shocking goalkeeper I think one of the worst transfers the Premier League has ever seen Um, so I think it's between those two.
3: Okay. Thanks for your question, Craig. Appreciate that. That was a good one. Uh, hope you don't mind us going to town on Gordon to Chelsea because that's what most of that question was. Um, next one comes from Mitchell on Twitter, which is at FSD pod, by the way, the way to get in touch with us on our new Twitter handle. Um, are we going to see a multi-horse race for the title this season or or will Manchester City and Liverpool eventually separate themselves again? From the rest? Well, it's been a tough start for Liverpool. Without a victory in their opening three games, two draws and one defeat, they are now below Manchester United in the table after Monday night's result. As for Man City, they drew with Newcastle, but they've got two wins and a draw so far to speak of from their opening fixtures, and along with Arsenal, are the early pace setters in the Premier League this season. So that's the state of play, that's the lie of the land, Joel. What do you think to Mitchell's questions? Do you think that Man City and Liverpool will eventually be the top two again? Or do you think we'll see something different?
4: No, I've said since the start of the season, I don't believe that Liverpool are going to be the main challenger to City this season. I still believe that it's going to be Tottenham, uh, just because I feel like they have such a good depth. But the main asset is Antonio Conte, who's been in this situation so many times in his career. And that's one of the main reasons why I would back him to... Maybe not go toe-to-toe with City, but to at least be there or thereabouts come, say, March, April time. I think the difficulty with Liverpool is that they really need their injured players back, asap otherwise they're going to lose so many points that when it comes to December time they're going to have such a gap to make up and they did it before let let's not forget in January there were a good 11 points behind so people saying that oh, the title could be done in October is absolutely rubbish um the, the the title goes until at least you know February March until you can truly say if it's done or not but I feel as though Liverpool, they've just—they've really shot themselves in the foot by A, selling Mane, which I know was not something that they could prevent, but B, not upgrading their midfield, which I still feel as though it needs to be upgraded. I feel like they're putting all of their eggs in the Jude Bellingham basket for next summer, however neglecting this season, which is that they still need upgrading. So I feel like they need their play, injured injured players back as soon as possible, like Jota, Thiago, Matip, all of those three which are so integral to the side. But it might be a case where by the time they all come back and fully fire, you know, City might have developed such a big gap that's going to be really difficult to come back. But yeah, I maintain that I do think Tottenham are going to be one of their main challenges.
3: Marley, are you in, in sync with Joel there and what you think? Or do you think that as Mitchell... Wonders City and Liverpool will will come through again.
5: Uh, I can't see the title race being that close. I think City will will flex their muscles and 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 uh, pull away from the rest. I can't see Liverpool getting near them this year. Um, and I don't not from think what we've
3: seen so far anyway. Well,
5: no, definitely not. I I also think that five points after um, five points isn't a big gap in in a thirty eight game season, but it is when you consider the quality of Manchester City. Um, and the fact that you know Liverpool aren't going to win the next thirty-five games in a row—it's just not going to happen. Um, so it's—I um, can see it being a, a simple title defense for City. To be honest, I think the the interesting thing will come in the race behind them because um, I think it'll be an absolute brawl, bit of a Royal Rumble style for hmm. second, third, and fourth. I think Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham will all be right in there and be separated by. Three or four points come the end of the season, if if it's even that big. But I think City will win the points by, um, City, sorry, City win the title by quite a few points, like six, seven, eight points, um, because I think they'll they'll hit their level and once they they do that, they'll you know they've got the experience and the the quality to just keep the foot on the gas. I don't think anyone else has that, especially Liverpool with their injuries this season. I think we seen a couple of years ago, was it when Liverpool only just scraped. Uh, third in the end that that was liverpool with with injuries that that season they had um quite a few injuries at quite a few different times and it really killed them when they're not when they haven't got the best 11 out they're not as formidable a team um, but you look at them this season and you know they haven't had the best team out for the first three games they haven't won a game yet so it's um it's a little insight into how things can go and i think city even if they don't have the best team out, they're still incredibly good. So I think they'll win it by a canter, really.
3: Over the top rope battle royal, says Marley, to decide who finishes (laughs) in the top four. Who's going over the top rope? We'll find out come the end of the season. Thanks for your question, Mitchell. And this one comes from Sanj who's got in touch on Twitter as well, at FSD Pod, and I think he's a Villa fan, Sanj, and he's sent us this question. The real story brewing is the Steven Gerrard implosion at Aston Villa. Fans are bemused by his tactics and he seems to be losing the club. The Ishmael Assar failed transfer sums up the confusion. Why buy a winger when Gerrard doesn't play with one? Things aren't right. So Sanj there venting his frustrations about his beloved Villa and what's going on with Steven Gerrard there Joel as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast he's been in post since November there's been flashes of moments where Villa have looked like a decent side but it's still yet to come together how long has he got really to try and sort things out because it's been a sluggish start to the season again for him
4: yeah honestly when he first came he came with such a massive reputation and I don't really get why because, alright, granted, he, he he did well in Scotland, fair enough, with Rangers to overcome Celtic. It's a good achievement. But I remember when he came and everyone was talking about his contract as if it was going to coincide with Klopp retiring so he can automatically take over Liverpool. He had this level of aura around him as if to say, you know, he was ready-made for that kind of job very soon when he had it all to prove still in the Premier League. I don't understand where this kind of credit came from. It was It was pretty bemusing from my side anyway and it's kind of showing at the moment because he's spent a hell of a lot of money he's brought in some very talented players who've played for top clubs you know Coutinho coming in and Carlos obviously he's had his injury but he was a Champions League player club for Sevilla Um Saar obviously I don't know what the hell happened with that kind of with that transfer they've, they've signed some top players in that side and obviously Camara from Marseille who was um, linked with so many top European clubs. And now he's got a worse record than Gary Neville at Valencia. So I think with what Sandy's saying, he's absolutely bang on, which is that he shouldn't be getting a free ride just because he's Steven Gerrard. Look at the results and look at the performances. He should be doing way better with this side because I think it does has it has the quality there to at least be trying to challenge for let's say a top eight finish at least. And now he's got such a, he's got such a good roster of players and I just don't think he knows what system and how to get the best out of them to be honest and I don't know if that's a case of him just not being as good of a manager as everyone made him out to be when he first arrived or just the fact that the players he's brought in are simply not good enough or maybe aren't as you know aren't as revered as what everyone thought they were you know in the case of when Everton are bringing in Barcelona players and you know, maybe Catino isn't that good as what everyone made him out to be. So I think that for me, he could be, you know, very, very pressured in the next two months or so if he can't get results right. Because like I say, I feel as though the owners are going to be looking at this soon and thinking we should be doing better with the plays that we brought in because they have paid a hell of a lot of money this last two years. I spoke
3: to... The guys from the For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast, which is a great Aston Villa show, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can also find Total Villains as well on the podcast network. If you just go onto our website and search Aston Villa, you'll find those podcasts there. Um, But when I was speaking to the guys from For the Love of Paul McGrath in in the summer, they were targeting at the minimum a top 10 finish. That's what they wanted from Aston Villa this season. It doesn't look likely that that's going to happen, but then again, we are in such an early stage of the season, so who knows? I also saw a former Aston Villa player, Marley, on national radio this morning, suggest that David Moyes has had a poor start to the season for West Ham. So why isn't he under the same pressure and the same scrutiny that Steven Gerrard is? (laughs) And someone (laughs) name any names now? Someone quite—I'm not going to do that. Someone quite rightly pointed out that David Moyes has a bit of credit in the bank when it comes to West Ham United and therefore he's kind of been afforded this slow start. Steven Gerrard hasn't got any credit in the bank because he has not really we've not really seen anything from him yet to suggest that Aston Villa can be a force in the Premier League and achieve things. What do you make of it?
5: It's, you know, how how can you compare Moyes with Gerrard when you know Moyes has been around for 20 odd years. He's took Everton to the Champions League. He's been at Man United. Okay, it didn't work, but it doesn't work for anyone else either in the meantime. Um, he took West Ham to the Europa League and got them to the semi-finals, was it? Of the Europa League last season? Um, how you know that just isn't a comparison for me. But with with Gerard, you know, I feel like Villa have have thrown around a lot of money quickly um, to back Gerard, and there comes a time where you have to you have to back it up. You know, you can spend the money, and then you then it's down to the manager and the playing squad to to click and to get. Um, to get going, you know, to get up the table, to get off to a good start, and and make things, uh, make teams fear playing you. I, d- I don't think Liverpool, Liverpool, sorry, I don't think uh, Villa have got that yet. Um, I don't think Gerard knows his best team. Um, the transfer business for me seems a bit random and a bit rushed. Um, I know they had to move quickly to get Camera because he was on a free. I don't think anybody was seriously pushing for Diego Carlos this summer in terms of rivals. Newcastle were linked with him in January but as soon as January passed they they let him go pretty quickly. I think they only wanted him in January because he was a cheaper fee than Lille wanted for Sven Botman. So as soon as the summer came round Newcastle were always going to go for Botman first and then maybe back to Diego Carlos if, um, if something happened with the Botman deal but if you look at how they're playing—it's just a little bit strange. I, I don't really see what Gerard is is trying to do, and I think the fans fans are right to to point that out. He he's been in charge there at a very very similar time to Eddie Howe at Newcastle, and you know Villa fans would would could look at that and say, well, if Eddie Howe can have his style and his philosophy on that Newcastle team to the point where they've only lost one game at home in 2022, and you know, finished uh, finished the season, finished last season as the third highest points takers uh, behind Man City and Liverpool. You know, they they they're right to look at that and go, well, why can't that be us? Why why have we got to have Gerrard and he's still not knowing his best team after coming up a year in charge? It's 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 real questions from Villa fans, and you know that that should be that should be you know on on people's minds. I think.
3: Great question, Sanj. Appreciate it as always. And thanks to everyone who sent their questions in to us via social media. It's at Pod on Twitter. Sports Social Official is where to find us on Instagram and you can also get us on Facebook as well. You just need to search for Sports Social in the search bar and you will get us there. That is the end of another edition of Football Social Daily. We'll be answering more questions next week and also we'll be looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action and we'll be building up to that for the remainder of this week. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of this podcast thank you very much Marley thank you Joel that is it for another episode of FSD and we'll speak to you again soon
1: Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk